So the dilemma Janice and I have is this. Can I preach a sermon that's a week out of date? Because usually I'm right on the, uh, in the zone and the adrenaline's rushing as I get up to speak on a Sunday morning. But thankfully, last week I wasn't able to preach this, so the Hulahan wedding yesterday, I was able to chill and relax and not have much preparation to do. But that can make it a bit stale. Unfortunately, when you're talking about money as we're going to come to, then it's never stale. Because the week is just filled with more and more stimuli for such a sermon. It started with America threatening to pull out of the Paris Agreement on the environmental deals that have been done. Without question, it will be a problem in the States for the bottom line, the altar of uh, profit if we have to cut back on our environmental issues. We might have to struggle economically if we were to help the planet to survive for our children or grandchildren. Money, money is the bottom line. God's creation is not. And Sam Phillips, a singer-songwriter, has a song called American Land-Filled Kings, which speaks into how we ended up living on the rubbish uh, and how God's planet is going down the tubes as a result. Then we had Pat Robertson, not Presbyterian for sure, but he was a bit unsure about America getting involved in this Saudi Arabian murder of the journalist. Because, I quote, we have £110 billion that might go down the plug in arms deals. Christian leadership, more concerned with the £110 billion, or dollars rather, that we might lose in arms deals, so let's not go after justice for someone murdered in Saudi Arabia. A friend tweeted how America was now Democrat, Republican, and economist, and that people had been lost in anybody's thinking to money. I don't think the guy who's a friend of mine who tweeted it maybe comes from a Christian perspective at all, but I was able to, it was on Facebook, I was able to go back and say, oh, Amos 5, very good commentary. Then I was reading the more frivolous. I'm reading because I'm excited. The White Album by the Beatles from 1968. It's 50 years old. How frightening is that? And Paul McCartney said, yeah, we'd get so much money at that stage that our wealth was becoming meaningless. We didn't know what to do with it. And if you think of the next few years of the unraveling of a pop band, money again was at the core of the problem. The ailments of our society... And the ailments of my own soul, and I would gently suggest yours, are all tied up in money. Every last one of them. Jesus did say, God or money. He did say, don't store up treasure on earth. I've told you before, I was going around the townships of Cape Town, and my friend Gordon said to me at one stage, he said, they think we're rich, Steve, don't they? And then he added, and we are, aren't we? 
Here's a wee judgment of, work out whether you're rich or not. Have you a choice as to where your house is? Have you a choice to the job that you might do or apply for? Have you a choice where your children go to school or that they do go to school? Have you a choice what you will eat today? And I'm not talking about far away, I'm talking about someday on bread and butter in our community nearby here for weeks and months. Have you a choice where you will eat today? Hullahan's or King's Head or... Have you a choice as to whether to put the heat on or not? Can you go and get the medicine you're prescribed? What about buying new furniture? Can you do that? Can you own a car? Do you dare think about going on holidays to somewhere else? The children in Onelaku knew nothing about those things I've just talked about. Absolutely nothing. I imagine most of the kids in Snea don't know about these things either. Holidays and cars and new furniture and deciding where you might live and maybe moving house or... In the summer before the team came, we were in Onelaku and I was over spending some time with the teachers, but... Uh, when you're a Mazungu in Onelaku, you find that when you're outside the staff room um, and it's a break time, that the children just flock around. They have no, uh, they have no iPads to watch some Netflix on at that time. So you're their entertainment. So I'm chatting away to some of the teachers, and there's just this group grows bigger and bigger and bigger and gets closer and closer and closer. And I'm trying to talk to the teachers. So Harriet, one of the teachers, went into the staff room and brought out a few tennis balls that Jimmy Wilson had given us one year to take over to Onelaku. And she took them out of the box, and there lies one of our dilemmas. Every time you give them something, even a tennis ball, they keep it for years. But it's so precious to them. She took it out of its box, and she threw it into the air. And every kid was off me, and the Mazungu, and onto this precious tennis ball that they might catch. Now that's a different world than we're dealing with in the birthday presents we buy our children. When we come to today's texts in Mark 10 and Amos 5, these are about us. And we've tried to manage them. Let's manage them. It's money. There's lots of other things we don't try to manage. But this one we try to manage. Maybe Jesus is speaking hyperbole here. and Maybe he means lordship of things rather than just money. Or maybe he's calling the rich young ruler's bluff. Nobody can keep the law, so nobody can give away everything either. So we'll get away with it by God's grace as well. Or he's really talking about the really rich. And the really rich are always the people who are richer than we are. But no, the more I spent time in these two passages... The personal with the rich young ruler and the national with Amos. The more I came to understand that as a pastor, as someone who might be involved in spiritual formation, that this is the one issue that our generation have to deal with on a minute by minute basis. It's not comfortable. And the good thing is that my wage is no longer tied to the giving because in the old days ministers wouldn't talk about money because they thought they would be accused of getting the stipend up so as they would get, uh, you know, 
It's not connect anymore. And I'm not even talking about you guys in the pews. I'm talking about the guy behind the lectern. This is the dilemma. This is the temptation. This is the distraction that all of us on a daily basis have to deal with. And there's three things. I'm going Presbyterian in my old age. First thing is both in what uh, Philip was able to just do wonderfully there with Mark chapter 10. Both with the rich young ruler and with the people of God, there is a thing about seeking. I think as I've read this over and I've read it over a few times, I'm trying to say, is this one of these legalistic Pharisees who was wanting to catch Jesus out or is this guy genuinely seeking after God? And I, I conclude that he's genuinely seeking. Jesus loves him. He, he, he turns away sad. I think he's definitely seeking God. He wants God. And if he doesn't want God or he doesn't think Jesus is God, you can tell by the way he lives his life as a believer or a religious person that he's keeping the commandments. He is seeking God. And in Amos chapter 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Seek good and not evil. It's again about seeking after God. How do we find God? How can we have more of God in our lives? How can we become more like God? How can we have our souls 10-10? Something is in the way in the rich young ruler's life and something is in the way with the people of God in Amos chapter 5. They're seeking, number one, and there's something in the way, number two. Now, somebody has put it in one of the companies I read, but it is over a week ago, so I can't even remember that one. Um, you're lacking one thing is the way that, rightfully, that Philip put it out today from the reading. But they're suggesting that there might be a difference between a noun and a verb here, and that what Jesus is saying he lacks is not something, but a certain state of being. You are lacking in one thing. There's something in your soul, there's something in your life that you're still lacking in. Something had got in the way of a seeking. I suggest there was a Berlin Wall had got in the way of a seeking. What was it? What was it? Well, money was the big thing for the rich young ruler. Now, the thing why the disciples go, I can't believe you said that, Jesus, is not that he turned away the religious person. But in Jesus' day, if you were rich and wealthy and as religious as this guy, you were seen as the one who was blessed. So they're saying, goodness, if somebody who's as blessed as this in our community is being turned away and is not finding Jesus or being told they're not finding Jesus, what hope of the rest of us have because we're seen as not blessed because we're in our poverty, etc. This guy was flourishing. As were the people of God in Amos chapter 5. They were flourishing. The economy was prospering, at least for some people in the passage. The king was maintaining law and order, but there was something skewed off between the rich and the poor. Worship attendance was high in the worship places of God, but there was something in the way of their seeking. The Berlin Wall. And I think Paul talked about it a little bit in his prayer. The self-reliance you have when you have these things. The self-reliance. If an issue comes up, how do we sort it out? Here we probably think, 
Amazon. Let's go down Boucher Road. Or we might have to go as far as Tesco's blesses. We can deal with it. And only a likely they pray. And only a likely they seek God. There's no Berlin Wall in the way. But for us, Derek Poole, who's coming to speak about Rwanda in November on a couple of Sunday evenings and all about the forgiveness in Rwanda. If you remember back to before we went on sabbatical, we had um, a guy here from Rwanda. Derek will be coming to talk about that. And Derek always said, after the bank crash, why were we not all outside banks? Going daft that bank managers were getting loads of money and payoffs while other people were losing money on their houses. Why were we not out there? How did, how on earth, how on earth did we just let that go? Because actually our wealth, our self-reliance allowed us still to have a holiday, still to eat out, and still to go home and watch some detective that catches somebody because it didn't really impinge on our lives because we are too self-reliant. We are the comfortable flourishers And when you see comfortable flourishers in the scriptures, they find it very hard to be close to God. Like a camel going through the eye of the needle. So there was something in the way, and it was the money. But it wasn't just giving the money away. There's something more, I think, in these two passages that is ripe for speaking about in a morning that we've heard from the food bank and about the kind of poverty that Paul was praying for in Yemen, or indeed in the days of Elijah, which was one of our hit singles in On Elakli this summer, it has to be said. But there's something going on in these passages, and that is simply justice and the poor. The rich young ruler, sell all you have, we could stop there. But actually it was sell all you have, and give it to the poor. And in Amos, it was a justice thing. They wouldn't live in their big houses. They wouldn't have the profit from their vineyard or the fruit of their vineyard because they were defrauding people, because people were becoming poor for them to be able to live the way they were living. There was an issue in God's heart here over poverty and our posture towards justice, not just charity. Not just development, but justice. Universal tax credit. I need to read about that. I need to find out about that. As much as I can give another ten of, not beans, but peas to the donation station. When Nicholas Walterstorff was here a few years ago, did he not turn it on its head for us when he looked at that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and explain to us that that word for righteousness is the same word as justice. And when we have it as righteousness, it's just sort of some lovely things we do. Like we're righteous because we pray and we come to worship and we tell people about Jesus. And it's all about the personal. And that's quite easy to then leave all this other stuff that's actually the Berlin Wall and not have to deal with it. But he said if you put righteousness for justice, then that changes everything. That changes everything. Amos, ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy at the gate. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. 
It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I've said before, and I say it publicly, and I say it to people in coffee shops and conversation. I'm thrilled that we're a congregation in BT9 or in BT9 type places that don't live for our money. There are other churches where they do live for their money. And I'm convinced as I've been here nine years that right in the core of the soul of this community and most of us as individuals, we're not living for our money. But I still will say that this is the greatest distraction we have in our lives to life in all its fullness with God. My wealth can cause me to be possessed by my possessions. It can cause me to be desensitized to somebody in our community who's living on bread and butter. We might even make excuses for not helping them with uh, social welfare. There's a Berlin Wall in the way of my soul flourishing. Am I so self-sufficient that I really don't get angry at the injustices that are happening to the poor in my community? How is my relationship, how is the relationship between the wealth that I have and the poor around me? This is not for the rich young ruler or for the people in Amos to give up the blessedness of their wealth. It's about giving the blessedness of their wealth to bless the world. It's not about giving up the blessedness of their wealth. It's about giving up the blessedness of their wealth to bless the world. And as I've reflected in this for an extra week, I cannot help but think that my personal walk with God and the health of my soul in a personal way is wrapped up with a national issue of how I live and how I relate to money and wealth. Spiegel Kapili, who I used to spend time with in the townships of Cape Town, he was a wise, wise pastor. And when we were leaving one year, one of my students said to Spiegel, Spiegel, it was a great year because uh, I think the rand went to 17 rand of the pound. We were eating in the spur steak chips, double malt dessert for about £2.50. We had so much money left after our budget that we were trying to work out things that we could give and leave. And so one of my students said, Spiel, what can we leave with you? He said, don't leave me things. Don't leave me your money. Leave me your heart. Because he knew that if he got the heart, the things and the money come underneath. And I would be suggesting that the problem we have is that the things and the money are tainting what we do with our bigger hearts. This is a spiritual issue. This is something we should be thinking about on a daily, if not hourly basis. Because this is the Berlin Wall. As we try to seek God, it's in the way of all of us. 
Let's pray together. Our God, we give you thanks that we live in a world where we have the choices that we have, where we are not eating bread and butter every day, or in Onelaku eating the same beans every day. We thank you for running water in our kitchens and bathrooms. We thank you for all the things that we have that make life that much easier than those who are poor today. And Lord, you're not calling out the rich young ruler and you're not calling the people uh, in Amos 5 to live the same poverty as everybody else. Lord, you're calling us in our relationship with that poverty. And you're calling us from our blessedness as to what we will do with that blessedness. What is our posture? What is our connection with that blessedness, with justice for those around us and further afield? And so, Lord, make this something that your Spirit brings to our minds regularly. And if you need to root some of it out, Lord, do it. May there not be a Berlin Wall between our souls and our intimate, joyous relationship with you. As we seek life in all its fullness, Lord, if there's a Berlin Wall of wealth in the way, then we pray you would deal with it. Deal with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.